0: Well, I will invite you to take your copy of God's Word and let's look together in 1 Timothy chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 12 through 17. It is in connection with Brother Tim Baker and uh, him sharing uh, along the Gideon, about the Gideon ministry that along those lines, I want to challenge you this morning in a couple of ways. 1 Timothy chapter 1 beginning in verse 12. Are you ready for the reading? Say amen. amen. All right. All minds on the word, right? All eyes on the scripture. The Bible says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of all full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ, might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. To the King of Ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen." The Bible records many instances where Jesus encountered people. And those encounters were when He walked the face of the earth, but we could go back even further And we could talk about what these people had in common. For instance, I hope that you will read the genealogy of our Lord sometimes during Christmas, right? I hope you will read that because it has a history lesson to teach us. And there are at least three women in there that have something in common. And that would be Rahab and Ruth and even Bathsheba. And then when you get to the New Testament and Jesus encounters people, you have the maniac from Gadara. You have the tax collector and traitor of his own people, Matthew. You have blind Bartimaeus with his friends. You have an adulterous Samaritan woman. You have Zacchaeus, the Roman centurion. You have Zacchaeus, then you have the Roman centurion at the crucifixion. You have the thief upon the cross. When you get to the book of Acts, you have the Ethiopian eunuch, the Philippian jailer. You have the incredible conversion of Lydia. When we look to modern day, we think about an evangelist who was a professional baseball player that mocked a preacher on the street corner. But as he walked away, the Holy Spirit of God convicted his heart through the Word, and he was gloriously saved. His name was Billy Sunday, one of the greatest evangelists who ever lived. We know the testimony of Chuck Colson, an atheist and one who served under Richard Nixon. We know that testimony. We know of C.S. Lewis and how God took him from being an atheist and saved his soul. What do we know about all of these? And what do these people have in common? They were all transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ. But none of those transformations really historically can touch what comes to our hearts and minds when we think about Paul. And that's what you've just read. It's int- we've preached through Acts. And we've talked about Paul's conversion. And it, it changed his life so radically. Stuck in his mind so much and in his heart that in Acts 9 is, of course, the conversion experience but he's going to go back to his conversion and talk about that in Acts 22, Acts 26, Galatians 1, Galatians 2, Philippians 3, and 1 Timothy 1. And all of those describe aspects of Paul's miraculous conversion. Paul never lost the wonder that God could redeem someone like him. And I hope you don't either, that God would redeem someone. Like us, and he, had viewed, he viewed himself as the supreme example that the grace of God can save anyone. John, note that in the text, he says straight out, "My salvation was an example to those who come behind, why to tell us that God can save anyone." He viewed his own salvation. My question today, in the title of the sermon, is: The gospel we preach is anyone too bad to be saved? And so the passage is about the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ which we preach. Here's what I want to do. I want to kind of give you a head start, a sermonette to explain the text. And then I want to give you three points of application this morning that will lend itself to Chris McGee, one of our own, actually a Gideon of another chapter. He's going to come up and issue you a challenge, everybody in this church, for you, And uh, it's going to follow straight along with what you're going to hear from the Word this morning. And as we read through the text, here's what Paul would tell Timothy in the first eight or so verses. He would say to him that God gave me the gospel and He's deposited it into my life. And I have a responsibility to guard the truth of the gospel. And so he tells Timothy, you've got the same responsibility to guard what's been entrusted to you. The gospel of Jesus Christ... And after that, he begins to erupt into this incredible testimony about how that gospel had changed his life. So it is powerful. It is a pregnant sentence. It encapsulates the gospel in just nine English words. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Isn't that awesome? Trustworthy statement. So introductory, let's uh, let's think about the fact that we learn about the gospel in that one phrase... Here's a full, trustworthy acceptance that, uh, a trustworthy statement full of acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We hear the gospel clearly there, don't we? We also hear the grace of God and we also hear the glory of God when you get down in verse 17. So Paul tells us that Jesus Christ came into the world. So much is packed in that word came. Uh, we're approaching Christmas, right? Let me go ahead and get you in the incarnational spirit. Before we get there, even at Thanksgiving, let's use a a passage like this. Because in verse 12, it says, I thank Him. So much truth is packed. We learn the gospel of God. That the gospel of God is incarnational. And it is also undeniable. Christ Jesus, the Son of God, did not have His beginning in Bethlehem. Y'all know that, right? You're a good old Baptist. You know that the Son of God was not created... He's always been the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And note how Paul says this. Christ came, wasn't created. The Son of God left His throne in glory and came down here. He already existed as the second person of the Trinity. He was existent, co-essential, and co-eternal with the Father. And He was there with the Father and the Spirit. As a matter of fact, James read it. Uh, uh, Mr. Baker read it for us, did he not? Tim... In the beginning was the, the Word was with God and the Word was God. And so we know that John 1.14 says, And that Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He committed the ultimate act of condescending grace coming into this world as a baby born in Bethlehem. The one the Father was with in glory, put on a human robe and came down human flesh, robed Himself in human flesh and came down to live with us, that's called the incarnation. That's the truth of Christmas that the world wants to say is Xmas, right? But we call it Christmas for a reason because Christ came into this world. But why did Jesus come? Jesus came to live a life that we could never live. He came to die a death that you could never die. He came to die a death that you deserve to die, correct? And to rise in victory over the enemies, we could not conquer. Folks, today you can't conquer two enemies, sin and death. You're not going to be able to do it. Only Jesus Christ conquered sin on Calvary and death in His resurrection and glory. There is no greater wonder in all of history. Yet Paul tells us it is true. This is not like the myths or speculation of the false teachers. That's the thrust of what he's saying to them Some of the false teachers are making assertions, more than likely saying that you have to be saved by keeping certain laws. Paul turns around. Let me give you something of full acceptance that is undeniable. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We should be thankful for that. It's a reality. It's undeniable. The gospel not only is incarnational and undeniable, it is also universal and personal. Now that we've established that Jesus came into the world To save sinners, the next question is, which sinners? Is that a good question? Which sinners? And the answer, all sinners who embrace the gospel fully. Are y'all listening? In order to be saved, you have to embrace the gospel fully. And those are the ones that Christ Jesus came into the world to save. There ought to be more amens. Have you embraced the gospel fully? And Paul said in verse 16 that he was at the top of the list of sinners. He says, I'm foremost. In the Greek, it is, I'm first. He's not being indigenous. He's not standing off aloof. He believes that. I'm first in that number. That God would save me, the worst of sinners. That's why we have to say that it is both universal and personal. It calls Paul to celebrate the grace of God which overflowed. In verse 13, Paul talks about what he looked like. He was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an arrogant man. The ESV says he was an insolent opponent. Don't forget the very one writing this book to Timothy is the very one that was the church's number one threat in the book of Acts. He was the one going from home to home, dragging husbands and, uh, away from their, husbands and wives away from their children. He was the one killing and persecuting Christians. He wanted Christianity wiped off the map. He was standing there when the very first Christian martyr was martyred for the faith. And his name was Stephen, right? And he was imprisoning and killing Christians. But God caused His grace to overflow to the one person seemingly that deserves salvation the least. And boy, I hope that speaks to your heart today. Of all the people who would be the most unlikely candidate, the most undeserving to have grace and mercy flow into them, it would have to be the Apostle Paul. And his example in verse 13 tells us a lot about the nature of God's grace. So I started off by saying this verse is about the gospel. It's also about grace. Do you notice how he says this in verse 13? The Bible says, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent, but I received mercy. That actually means to be mercied. It is an awesome word that I received mercy from the Lord to be mercied and pardoned from the Lord because I told I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. But listen to this, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So it is here that Paul would remind us of salvation. What do we learn about the grace of God? Well totally it has to be unconditional, right? Was it conditioned on anything that God saw in Paul? That he would save. is there anything in you that makes you lovable? I've been around some of you rascals, right? Is there anything in any of us that would cause us to say, I ought to be a recipient from God's grace? Well, no. It's unconditional. There's nothing in Paul to cause God to be drawn to him. It doesn't exist. It's impossible. Paul's salvation originated with God and so did yours. And God alone is responsible for saving. And the same is true for you and me. We're not saved based on any condition in us. We're saved solely on the account of the grace of God. God's grace is unconditional. But it's also purposeful. We learn so much about His grace. Verse 14, it produced in Paul something. It produced in him faith and love. And not only does this the initial act of the fact that God saved Paul through faith, through love, but it's also an ongoing understanding in the perfect tense. Meaning that if, God, if you are saved today, and God gave you the ability to believe and gave you His love, then that ought to be an ongoing thing in your life. Right? That faith and love should be in your life as a child of God. Notice how that's worded. Our Lord overflowed for me with faith love, and love that are in Christ Jesus. But even deeper than that, what about, the, what about God's patience? We need to be thankful for the patience of the Lord, don't we? In verse 14, that's really good. Good news for everybody who ever thought, God would not save me. I've hated the Lord. I have tried to go away from Him at every point in my life. I've fought Him. If you think you're beyond the mercy of God, hear this. God chose to take the chief persecutor of the church... And make him into the chief missionary in the church to show his patient that he's patient, that he loves, that he beckons sinners to come unto him and believe and have eternal life. No matter what you have done, those words are worthy of full acceptance in your life that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And you could really write your own name in there unless you're pious and bigoted because you're the worst of sinners, you're foremost. But God saved you. He was patient toward you. The Bible also tells us not only of gospel and grace, but what about about glory? And it leads Paul to praise the Lord. And this is perhaps one of the deepest, richest statements to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Your salvation ought to lead to glory. It ought to lead to praise to Jesus you ought to come into church when we're corporately together and you ought to open your mouth and you ought to sing glory to God why because you were the chief of sinners and Jesus Christ saved you to the king who is immortal and invisible that's what we sing that's what we think about one of my favorite songs uh hymns is redeemed how I love to proclaim it you ever heard that song Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through his infinite mercy and his child, and forever I am. Redeemed and so happy in Jesus. Now, for some of you, I wonder. (laughs) Gloomy Gus, you act like you've been dragging a funeral procession behind you. Redeemed, how and so happy in Jesus. No language. My rapture can tell. I know that the light of His presence with me continually dwells. Could y'all hear Paul sing this? Listen to this verse. I think of my blessed Redeemer. I think of Him all the day long. I sing for I cannot be silent. His love is the theme of my song. That's good. Isn't it? It is. That's the kind of response that Paul had. So, folks, listen to me. If God's gospel and grace doesn't lead to praise, I wonder if you're really saved. I really do. If it doesn't lead you to address the immortal, invisible God alone, who has all glory, something's wrong with us. I'm telling you, the folks in the Word that got saved, they got saved. Right? There's no doubt about it. They did. Okay, here's the application and we're done. God saves saves everyone for service. Okay, what is Paul's first statements? I thank my God, who actually, when it says, considered me worthy. It's not that he looked down and saw something in Paul. It was the fact that he knew Paul would be trustworthy in the deposit of the gospel. Okay, so when Paul was saved, ladies and gentlemen, he was saved unto service. It's interesting that he words it this way. Notice what the Bible says. And I thank him who has given me strength. Christ Jesus our Lord, because He's judged me faithful, trustworthy, appointing me to His service. So today I want to tell you folks, if you're saved, God saved you unto service. It's not just for Paul, it's for you as well. Notice that word strengthened or enabled. In the the New King James Version, rendered enabled me, it is the verb give strength equal to the task. Is there any task too big for the child of God when God asks you to do something? Where does the enablement come from? It comes from the God who saved you. We often forget about that. We think, well, I've, del- I've, I've taken care of the regeneration thing. The Spirit of God has saved my soul and made me alive and justified me. But that's all God's going to do for me. Folks, do you realize that there is no service before the Lord and no ability to do it unless the, the God that infuses you with the Holy Spirit is the very one who is working through you. And that's what Paul knows He not only graciously saved him apart from his works, He also graciously gave him the strength to live out that salvation. And to live it out in service to the Lord. You don't just receive grace at salvation that enables you to believe. You live then in the sphere of being strengthened by the hand of the Lord. Don't you love the song Amazing Grace? When it says, through many dangers, toils, and... Yes, I have already come. And it's grace that is leading you through that. So it is God that enables you to serve. But let God also encourage you to serve. He was considered faithful. And that has to do with that decree. Uh, Earlier in the the passage, Paul says that God actually decreed it in him and appointed him as as an apostle. Now, did that happen the moment God called him? No, the decree happened uh, honestly before the foundation of the world. That's what the word decree means. That God commanded it and decreed it that it would take place in Paul's life. Just think how awesome God is. And in other words, Paul said, that that encourages me. That God has considered me trustworthy. And He's given me this to do, but He's enabling me to do it. Understand, folks, God saves everyone for service. God will enable you. And He will encourage you. Wherever you are today, right now, vocationally, wherever you are, who put you there if you're saved? God put you there. Does God trust you with the gospel? All right, folks. You've been given a deposit. What are you doing with the gospel? Some people like to sit around and argue about the gospel, but they never win anybody to Jesus. Hello, Tokyo. Y'all awake? People like to argue about soteriology, how salvation takes place, but they don't win people to Jesus. Don't talk to me about salvation if you're not willing to share the gospel. If it hasn't affected you enough to where you're willing to open your mouth and tell others about it, then why would that person ever want to know that gospel? Right? I'm going to preach a long time if y'all don't start responding. (laughs) How is your faithfulness, how is your trustworthiness with the deposit of the gospel that God entrusted you with? How about it, Sunday school teacher? How are you doing with the gospel? Can you say I'm trustworthy? I'm trustworthy with the gospel. How about you, deacon, choir member, nursery worker, kitchen worker? You mean the kitchen worker that's saved ought to be concerned with the gospel? You better believe it. How about the pastor? How about youth guys, worship leaders? What is the degree, what is the decree from Christ concerning your service to God? Would he say that you are trustworthy when it comes to the gospel? Oh, folks, this is good preaching. Doesn't matter who's saying it, right? This is good preaching, folks. The fact are you trust... Would God consider you trustworthy when it comes to the gospel that's been deposited into your life? God saves everyone for service. Number two, the Bible tells us in this text that God will save anyone from sin. Well, what an encouragement. We're, we look at Paul and we think, Oh, Lord, I'm beyond your grace. If there was ever one, ever anyone, that seemed to be outside of the confines of the grace of God reaching him, it would have been Paul. Bloody man. Brutal man. Devastating the church of the living Lord. Just, just look at Acts 9, 3-6. But here's what's awesome about this. The hunter of the church becomes the hunted by the Lord. And God begins to hound him from heaven, knocks him off his horse, and forever changed his life. Blinded him for three days, which is, a, which is an understanding of spiritual blindness without Christ. God made him stay that way, which also is a covenant curse in the Old Testament. And he stayed that way for a number of days, I think, to solidify in Paul's mind what an awesome transformation it is when God saves us, saves our souls. So anyone can be saved from sin. Aren't you thankful for mercy? Paul said, I was mercied by God. Paul's wretchedness was met with Christ's compassion. Grace removes guilt, while mercy takes away the misery caused by sin. Note that phrase, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Does that mean that Paul wasn't a sinner? And he kind of got off the hook? No, it doesn't mean that whatsoever. It doesn't mean that. It means that he thought he was doing what God wanted him to do. Because, you know, he did serve the only God that existed, Yahweh. And he thought that he was doing right by God. Because he was persecuting the church. So it was kind of in the ignorance of not knowing. And as a matter of fact, when you get into the Old Testament, you'll find out there are some sins, high-handed sins, that there was no atonement for. Because God knew they would not repent for that kind of thing. But here was Paul who understood that he was a sinner. And he did act ignorantly, but he was also deeply a sinner. He was not saying that his ignorance and unbelief earned his mercy. Rather, he meant that his ignorance and unbelief did not disqualify him from receiving mercy. I'm so thankful for the mercy of God. Amen. Those who sinned, again, unintentionally, and, be, and came to repentance and faith were covered by atonement. That wasn't true for sins of high hand that are given in the Bible. And I think Paul is thinking about that. Paul was responsible for his sin. And he did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. When Christ came to him, knocked him off his horse, what did he do? He responded and believed and served the Lord. Verse 14 tells us that grace was superabundant toward him. With superabundant grace comes the faith and the love which are found in Jesus Christ. Y'all understand, saving faith is not meritorious work whereby we earn divine grace. It is a gift from God. If you're saved, you'll be marked by continually loving and having continuing faith in the Lord. God saves, can save anyone from sin. He's faithful to save. What a trustworthy statement. This ought to make all of our hearts leap for joy. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Praise the Lord. He can save anyone. But Paul says, I'm the worst. Again, some have uh, accused the apostle of projecting some kind of false humility by saying, I'm the worst of sinners. The first of sinners is the way the Greek words reads, numero uno, I'm first. Come on, Paul, right? There's far greater sinners than you, right? Well, here's Paul's, he's being utterly sincere. He does not say, I was the worst of sinners. He says, but I am the worst. That's literally how it reads. I think this is a Good way for a healthy, regenerate heart to respond. Don't y'all? No boasting. No bragging about what you did. About how you decided. About how you did. How you reached your hand up to God and He reached His hand down to you and you just kind of met halfway. I hope you don't believe that. A dead man can't reach his hand up. And you are absolutely dead in trespasses and sin. For the regenerate heart, the response to our God is what Paul would say. I am so thankful That you would save the worst of sinners. No boasting in ourselves. We can't do it. We can't boast in ourselves. All right. finally, God saves someone as a standard. So, think about this this morning. God saves everyone for service. God will save anyone from sin. God saves someone as a standard. Don't you love how he says this? If God could and would do this for a man who put believers in prison and cast his vote for their deaths, there's hope for all of us in this building. And Paul will say that God saved someone as a standard. Don't despair. God saves someone as a standard. He saved the worst of sinners. A religious sinner who persecuted the church. And if he can do that, he can save you. He did it so that this morning, God saved Paul so that this morning I could preach some, uh, let's say, 2,020 years later. I could stand here and say to you that God saved Paul as a standard to tell you that he can save you no matter how bad you are. That's what he meant by that. God did that as a standard. No one who trusts Christ is beyond the reach of change. What an example of the patience of Christ in all of us. Christ chose the chief of sinners to demonstrate to you today that his mercy and power can change your life. Do you have a testimony in your own life? of the transforming power of the Lord to change life. Don't belittle the mercy of God by saying that you cannot be changed. Anytime you say that as a human being, I cannot be changed, you are belittling the grace of God. Because the grace of God can change anyone. This change in life can never be the subject of boasting, however, right? It's got to be sought after the way that a helpless, hungry man would seek after food. It must be accepted by faith. As one once said... Preaching is this. This is one beggar telling other beggars where to find bread. Right? I was a beggar coming humbly before the Lord to receive salvation, and so are you. We're just one beggar telling other beggars where to find bread. It can be salt after, as a hungry man seeks after food, but it can't be earned. So none of the changes God gives you is the basis of pride. I'm so thankful that the message of the gospel is that Jesus Christ changes lives. The gospel of Jesus. Whatever is undesirable and evil and sinful in your life can be changed by the gospel. But we forget this, don't we? Even after salvation, we say, oh, you know, I'm stuck. I'm going to have this characteristic trait for the rest of my life. I look back at the generational sins of my family and I'm like, "Woo! I'm going to be a drinker. Marijuana smoker, dope head, I'm not going to unmount to anything. God says His grace can change anybody, anytime. Whatever is undesirable in you, whatever is evil in you, can be changed by the gospel. A critical spirit can be changed. Boy, as Baptists, we can take a heavy dose of that one. Judgmental, critical, sensuous spirit can be changed by the gospel. Harshness and ingratitude can be changed. Laziness, overeating. I'm guilty. So are you. All those things can be changed. The habits of not consistently giving to the Lord, tithing, excessive TV watching, gambling, all those things can be changed. Your disposition right now to remind somebody else to listen to this sermon can be changed. Because I know what you're thinking you got it all together and you're thinking about the person sitting to your left or right. I wish this person would have heard. I wish mama would have come to church today. Or I wish my kid was here. No, the fact is we all need it. You know, it's interesting and strange that a physical and intellectual challenge can capture our minds. But spiritual challenges don't. Even though they're far more important. Chapter 4, verse 8. Listen to this. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. How is it that with physical things that, that is, is going to accomplish very little in your life? Eat all the granola bars you want to and you can step out in front of the road here on West Jackson and get run over by a train or a truck, car, and that you know it doesn't matter how many health wafers you eat. All right? But the fact of the matter is, why is it that we can be so in tune with physical things That measures little, but when it comes to godly things where God wants to change your life, then we just kind of throw those things off. The challenge to run 10 miles, or have an undefeated season, or make a 4.0 average in college, or become vice president of your firm, we'll do amazing things with total effort and discipline, but offer that same challenge to someone about the habit of prayerlessness, or excessive anger, or insensitivity at home, or coolness in worship, or hesitancy in witnessing, or addictions that we have. And they say, well, we'll just be content with God help me, and we go off to bed with all the other challenges of life, and we never think about that anymore. Y'all getting this? Why is that? Because we belittle the grace of God and the ability of God to change us. Praise God that His salvation changes us. The Gospel of Christ is a gift certificate. Don't y'all want these for Christmas? For a personally directed fitness program, better than Paul Putts. It's in the sun's gymnasium that can knock off more fat from the spiritual sides of your personality than anything you could ever dream possible. Amen. Amen! Right? I mean, he can knock it off. Living for Jesus, he can do it. And please understand that God is sovereign in his salvation. And that's what Paul means when he ends this by saying to the king of kings, Oh, folks, you know we serve the king of the ages. He's king immortal. He's king eternal. And that means God is the king of all the ages before creation, after creation, final age, on to eternity with limited time. Limita- no limitation to time. That's our king. Praise God. He's immortal. That means he's incapable of dying. You're going to be that way one day. Not little gods, but you're going to be immortal. Our God is. He is not subject to decay or destruction. He's invisible. uh, For the physical eye cannot see Him. Now the Son of God manifested Him bodily on earth, but not today. He lives in unapproachable light. All human beings have ever seen of Him other than the incarnate Christ. is simply a glimpse of His glory. And He concludes with the only God. He alone is what He is. I am the Lord, Isaiah 45 says, and there is no other. And here's the deal, folks. When God finishes His work in us, and we stand perfectible for Christ in the last day, we will exult, not in our worth, but we'll join the angels, millions of them singing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and honor and glory, forever and ever. Amen. That's going to be the ending paragraph for everybody in this building if you're saved. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Now, we're going to conclude the sermon with Chris McGee coming up here and giving us a challenge, okay? And he's going to tell you what these Bibles are for. Just hold on. We're not done with the invitation because we're going to do a call for sinners to be saved. And then we're going to call saved people that are still sinners to be willing to take the gospel to someone, okay? Chris? Chris?